ברוכים הבאים בשם השם ברוכים הבאים בשם השם ברוכים Consolation of Tatus. Erev Shabbos. Is the fifteenth day of Av, formerly known as Chamishas above. The Mishnah tells us, "Vehayu yom tevim liYisrael Chamishas above yemakipurim." There were no yom tevim by the Jews. As great as Kamishas above the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. And of course, we know the Shabbos is Pashas Veschanon. Just turn up the light in the front room. Pashas Veschanon begins Veschanon El Hashem Ba'isa Hilemer I requested as Moshe requests from the Almighty God that he be allowed to enter into the Holy Land of Israel He wanted to cross over and to see the other side of the Yardin. Understandably, that Moshe's prayers, his tefillahs, to go into it as well would be persistent, would be heartfelt. The word Veschanan itself teaches us, as it word, Veschanan is gematria, numerical value is 515, saying that Moshe prayed 515 tefillahs. Eventually, the Almighty was upset with Moshe. And he tells him, Enough of what your requests are. Don't touch, don't approach this matter with me any longer. Everything in the Teda has a practical lesson for our lives. What could this possibly mean for us? Rashi tells us, as Rashi explains for the Ben Chomish, the Mikra, for the simple child, Ves Chanon, Ein Chinon, the word chinun of Eschanan refers to matnat chinam. Moshe requests a gift 
a gift for nothing. Another explanation says Rashi. This is one of the ten phrases Vaschanan referred to the concept of tefillah of prayer. We derive in that case that Rashi, in essence, is giving us two explanations of the word Vaschanan. One is prayer. And one is Matnas Chinam. If he's asking for Matnas Chinam, for a free gift, why could that not refer to being done via prayer? And if it's impossible to ask for Matnas Chinam with a prayer... Perhaps, therefore, we could say Maisha was asking to go into the Holy Land of Israel. What was he ultimately having to ask? Everybody's going, all the people alive are going into Israel. But Maisha was now facing a severe issue where the Almighty has made a nether, a promise not to allow him to enter the Holy Land. He was asking of the Almighty to be matir nether, to nullify this oath. Even though the decree was upon him that he would not enter the Holy Land. The Gemara and Masechtis Rosh Hashanah, the tractate Rosh Hashanah, page 17, Side B. And continues on, I believe, to the next page as well. Discussing this very issue of what can prayers accomplish. Once the decree is done, Is a prayer have any kind of value? We know that if a woman is pregnant after 40 days, one may not pray for the gender of the child, whether it be a boy or a girl. For after 40 days, the child is already formed, and it would be considered a tefillah shav, a worthless prayer. Say that again? You can't pray? 40 days after the woman becomes pregnant. You can't pray? You don't pray any longer if the child should be a boy or a girl. When you pray? Only the first 40 days. The first 40 days, and then after 40 days, it's natural. It's already taken its form. Mm-hmm. Let's say she pays for a girl and you pay for a boy. What is that? You get twins. Um, yes, definitely. <laughs> you pray for the child to be healthy. Oh, okay. You you don't, you don't, you he's, saying, he's saying gender to me. You can't pray for a boy or a girl. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> The Imam has an argument if tefillah, if prayer helps once the decree is set. And the Gemara comes up with a summation. If the Gizardin is on a single person, it does not help. But if it's on the Tzibur, on the public, it helps. Perhaps we could say that this is the definition of these two explanations that Rashi gives. That those that say that the decree on Mesha was a public decree, Mesha and Yisrael, Yisrael is Mesha, they're all one, intertwined. And therefore it's good to say that Vashanan means tefillah, he prayed. Because although there was a decree, but the decree was on the public, and therefore it could still be prayed for to be nullified. But according to those that say that the decree was on Moshe himself, it was only Xeriachid, then what would he be praying for? Therefore, we'd have to say it's referring to a matnas chinam, to a free gift. Allow us to revert, though, 
and scrutinize what was Moshe's intention of entering into the Holy Land. And perhaps through that, we can decipher whether this was a decree on the public or a decree on a private person. You know, uh, whether it comes to public or private, when a person's working in a firm, you tell the people, we're all one team, there needs to be teamwork. Like an assembly line. One guy forgets to turn one of the screws, then the whole thing is going to be kaput. The boss was once walking around in all the cubicles. He walks over to one of his people and he says, Why were you not working? He says, You want to know the truth? He says, Yes. He says, I didn't see you coming. Um, we have to wonder about that sometimes. But when we figure a public or a private matter, the Gemara tells us what was Moshe's obsession? What was this yearning? to go into Israel. He wanted to eat from the fruit. Did he have to sate himself from all the good things that come up in Israel? Moshe said, Harbe mitzvahs nitztavu Yisrael, many mitzvahs Jews were, were commanded, ve'im eskayim in Elbe Yisrael, and they're not mekayim only in Yisrael. Echonis anil oretz kadeshi eskayimu kulon ayodi. I will go into the land so that they all could be Mekayim through me. Tonight, my friends, in MetLife Stadium, I don't know where that is. It's in New Jersey. In New Jersey. That's the uh, Jets? Jets and Giants. Jets and Giants Stadium, thank you. In MetLife Stadium. 12. They're having a Siem Hashas. For seven years, people toil on a daily basis. For seven years, people toil on a daily basis and they learn Daf Yomi. They learn a page a day in Shas throughout the Talmud, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And they completed now the cycle. And the cycle after seven years. With Kenai Nahara, a Ribu Ribu. That's the first one, how they call it, in the garden, seven years ago. The school took us. The Jewish nation, they take and they take, it's an undertaking of every day learning a page of Gemara. Personally, I wish I would keep to such a schedule. Personally, I should be amongst the 89, 90,000 Jews that are there. It's a tremendous, tremendous Kiddush Hashem sanctification of God's name. But, but, Bishita, 
the attitude, the approach of the format of studying is one has to have a kvius itim latera. One has to have an established time which he studies Tera daily. One does not limit himself to that one Amir of Gemara with Rashi, but the one page, one daf of Gemara. One should sit and study for the hour or two every night or day, and during that time, whatever he finishes, he finishes. One should not strive, and this is not my opinion, I believe this is might be slightly misquoting, but this is basically the Rebbe's opinion. One should strive to learn time-wise and not limit himself to this one Amud, one page of Gemara. And if he can learn two, three Amud in that day, three, two, three in that day, with Gemara, Rashi, Tesis, and Mepharshim, Ashrecha. If he gets through one Amud in Cheskis Habatim in two, three hours, with Gemara Rashi Tesis and Mepharshim, Ashrecha. Is it a meritous thing to do for everyone to come together as Kval Yisrael and to bring such a... It's an unbelievable thing. And the Schus should do the ultimate. Should bring Mashiach. There have been Siyam Hashas throughout the world... And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to unite people with. But is it our goal to be Messiah Shas? It is a goal. It's a very beautiful goal. Is it something we should aspire in our lifetime? It's something that one should aspire in their lifetime at least once or twice to go through Talmud Bavli and to go through Talmud Yerushalmi. That chair's just going to go right off Monday. You keep pushing back right there. <laughs> All right, running at four hours of sleep. Came home at 2.45. Oh, for the flowers, for the shower. What was it like? So then what is it therefore that drove, drove Moshe Rabbeinu that gave him this tremendous strength this tremendous yearning to want to enter into Israel? Let us say what did Moshe say? He says So that everyone can be accomplishing can complete the mitzvahs through me he should have said, Shekayim is Kulam. That they should all be Makayim, should be Makayim everything. Why are Yodi Dafke? And the explanation really is It is known that what was Moshe's main attribute, the main attribute of Moshe Rabbeinu, the main middah that he had was emes, truth. The Medrash tells us in Shemesh Rabbah, emes ze Moshe. Truth is Moshe. Why is it Question: How do we kill the Yetzirah? My answer: You kill by Lagatorology. Okay, good. Ronan has changed his display picture once again. 
Moshe's Midah was Emes. The Midah of Emes is something that is perpetual. It is something that is always standard. And therefore, the things that are done through Moshe are Nitzchim, are perpetual. There is no changes. The Gemara tells us in the Sechta Seita, Tavtesam at Aleph, Meshe with David lay shaltus ineim b'maaseim. By both Meshe and David, the enemies did not have any kind of impression, not have any kind of shlita in their work in their doings. And because of this, it's brought down in Svarim. My grand, my ancestor, the Megala Muka says. If Moshe would have brought the Jews into Israel, it would not have been shaykh, it would not have been possible that they should ever be exiled. And it would have been a settling, when they would have settled in the land, a perpetual settling forever. Because anything Moshe did was nitzchi, was perpetual. On and on, it never it was never erratic. It never wiped out. This is therefore the taken of what Meish is asking. She is kaimu kulon Everyone should be accept be fulfilling everything through me. His request was not to ask Anafshe, not for himself. Let me go into land so I can do the mitzvahs. That it should be for me to be able to benefit. But his reasoning was the Ratzin to go into the Holy Land so that the mitzvahs should be perpetual, that the Jews should always be able to keep the mitzvahs. Because since the mitzvahs would be done through his kayach, through his strength that he established in Israel, that's how they would be established forever and ever, without any kind of gullus or exile in between. And therefore, in essence, Moshe's prayer, Moshe's request, was for Klal Yisrael. His going to the Holy Land would have been was a decree against Tibur, a decree against the entire nation. Because had Moshe gone in, we would have been spared the pain and anguish of the exiles which we have suffered and suffer today. Many years ago, 40, almost 50 years ago probably, it was right before Rosh Hashanah, two grandparents were taking a little boy, their grandson Yaakov Shmuel, in the car, and somebody must have ran a stop sign or a light, and on contact, the grandfather was killed, and the grandmother and the child were in critical condition. But very critical condition. And the father was called down to the hospital. And the father was told father was told there's nothing to talk about. We have the child breathing a little bit, but there's no hope for this child. There were tubes and wires and everything going all over the child. A few minutes later, the wife came in and they told her the same thing. It was three in the morning when the supervising doctor, the doctor in charge, came in was also Jewish, and he told them, listen, it's Erev Rosh Hashanah tomorrow. We can keep this child perhaps alive on machines for another day or so. But if he should die late tomorrow, then you're not going to bury him until after Rosh Hashanah. The grandfather died, there's going to be a funeral anyway tomorrow. 
postpone a little bit the funeral, wait a little bit, and you'll be able to bury the child with him. The rabbi was, Rabbi Oromland was going, the worst things in the world you tell him is three-year-old child. Three o'clock in the morning, they had no idea what to do. From another shul, a member, a president of another shul was in the hospital at the time visiting, or he heard about the accident, so he came to see what he could do. He said, listen, Rabbi, I know you're not a great fan of the Chassidim, and especially not Lubavitch, but I don't think you have much of a choice. This child needs Rachman and Rabman, the only way it's going to happen is if you call Lubavitch Rebbe. He was not happy with the idea, but he saw no other way out, no other option, and he dialed. Three o'clock in the morning, Rabbi Chadakov, the Rabbi's secretary, answered the phone. He heard what happened, he told him, hold on a minute. He came back, and he told him, call back. the Rebbe said, call back in an hour. The guy says, an hour? Are you crazy? Child probably won't even be alive then. What am I going to call back for? The Rebbe said to call back in an hour. He said, I don't understand. The Rebbe starts laughing. He says to him, I don't understand why you call the Rebbe for if you don't understand. If the Rebbe tells you to do something, do it. I hear you. A few moments went by and the child's condition started to deteriorate. They moved him from the main ICU section to the section right next to the morgue. It's only a matter of minutes, they said. An hour later, he called the Rebbe. It's five o'clock in the morning now. The Rebbe Chadikov said, hold on. A few minutes later, the Rebbe answered the phone. And the Rebbe said to him, the Gezeda is Adibir. The decree is over. Just like that. I need you to do three things, the Rebbe said. Firstly, add the name Ben Sion him secondly to find $1,800 I know it's a tremendous amount of money but give it to Tzedakah not to any Lubavitch organization to anywhere else not to Lubavitch because I don't want you to think that I'm trying to get $1,800 out of you and the third thing nobody knows he told them that should remain secret then the Rebbe also said, and by the way, ask the head doctor to call me. Well, the Rabbi felt, Rabbi Ormland felt a little calmer now. But, uh, you know, he's going to go tell the doctor and see what happens. And... He asked the Rebbe, I'm the chazan in the shul, Rosh Hashanah, should I go daven or should I stay here in the hospital? The Rebbe said, you do yours, you go daven and have everybody in mind. But your wife should stay in the hospital and make sure that she hears Shefer and gets another lady to hear Shefer as well. And in the schus of getting the other lady to hear Shefer, it will be another schus for the child. When he hung up, it occurred to him that Rebbe told him to call the child Ben-Sion, to add Ben-Sion. Usually you add Chaim, you add Rafal. Where's Ben-Sion come into the picture? He, found, he realized right away what it was. When the child was born, his wife's grandfather, Ben-Sion, did not have a name. And they were going to give the name Ben-Sion. But right before the child was born, actually, he lost, the, the Rabbi Ormland lost his own father. And although they had already said that if it's a boy, they'll give it Ben-Sion, he decided he wanted to give his father's name, he gave Yaakov Shmuel. And now that I'm selling him, add Ben-Sion. Because this child's neshama has Ben-Sion. 
The doctor called. He, he thought they were crazy. But he called the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said to him, firstly, put the child's head in the freezer. Put the head in the freezer for a few period of time. And then he gave him a few other instructions. Now the idea of putting the head in the freezer was ludicrous. But what was even more ludicrous was, doctor said, okay. And he did it. And it saved the child's life. Rabbi Orman added the name, he borrowed the money, he gave it to Tzedakah. And he went to Davin Rosh Hashanah. The second day of Rosh Hashanah, he was about to blow Shafer. And the Shabbos came running up to him and told him he just got news from the hospital that there's a major improvement. The child's life is no longer in danger. There was no text, there was no cell phones. He waited until after Yamtav, he ran over there. And yes, indeed, the child was not in danger. He was breathing regularly, but after a major accident, such brain damage, he was a vegetable. Child. Yeah, we said. Grandfather was killed and the... Yeah. No. At least he was alive. How many years ago this Forty plus years ago. Almost fifty. The doctor said... The damage to the brain was so bad, even if he wakes up, he'll be blind or deaf or mute or paralyzed. It's not as much hope. They're going to put him in a, re- in a rehab center, which is basically like a hospice. Two months later, Rabbi Weinberg came to came to Atlantic City where they lived. He had to help with a mikvah or something. Note, I think it's a Weinberg Schleichen this week. And he told him, you know what, why don't you come to Fabrengen? The Rebbe is going to speak by a gathering, come to Fabrengen. And a month later, Rabbi Orman was up on top of the beam over there with Rabbi Weinberg, and they were standing there, and the people in between would say, Fahel, say, Lechayim. And as people were saying, Lechayim, the Rebbe poured, took a bottle of vodka, poured some wine from his cup into the bottle, and poured back into his cup and back into the bottle, then shook up the bottle, so it had wine from his. And he turned to Rabbi Oroman, called him over, and said, give me your cup. And the Rebbe started to pour and fill the cup and it went over the cup. And the Rebbe said, the brachas are going to soon pour, now say l'chaim. This guy never drank in his life. The Rebbe said, say l'chaim, and finish the cup. Here he goes and takes a full cup of vodka. The Rebbe wasn't finished. The Rebbe said, take another cup. And again, the second cup, he made him drink the whole thing. At this point, Rabbi Orman's head was spinning. He never did this in his life. Did I have a motion to fill up a cup a third time? <laughs> Just a few months before this, before this accident, he would never even find himself by a fabreng and never mind do such things. And here he's sitting and drinking, he's getting his third cup of vodka. It probably was a five ounce, not a seven ounce, maybe it was a seven ounce. In the middle of the third cup, the Rebbe said, the Alter Rebbe is here in the room, the Friedrich Rebbe is here in the room. Anyone who has a blessing to ask for, ask for it now. Why are you quiet, the Rebbe said. At this point, Rabbi Ormland, after two cups of vodka, halfway through the third, screamed at the top of his lungs, My son, Yaakov Shmuel ben Tzien, is a vegetable. I want him to be healed completely. The Rebbe smiled, nodded his head, said, don't forget to finish the cup. Mm. Finished the third cup and he was out under the table. One of the chassidim took him home that night apparently. And he stayed the night. The next day he was taking a shower. 
by the Chassid's house, and uh, he went back to Atlantic City. He came to the hospital, and he was telling his wife what happened by this Fabregen, how the Rebbe gave him three cups of vodka, and the Rebbe told him to ask for a bracha, and he asked for this bracha. The nurse that was on duty didn't know the child's condition, apparently. And she went in and saw the child there with his eyes open, and said, do you want milk or soda? And the child said, soda. So, Mrs. Ormland heard the child say that and fainted. They had to get a doctor for her. Immediately, Rabbi Ormland went and called the Rebbe. The Rebbe said, when he says, Abba and Ima, Mami and Tati, call me. And so the next few months, every time the child added another word, they called the Rebbe. The child was progressing, was talking, but he wasn't walking. He was still paralyzed from head down, from neck down. And this is getting painful as well. Rabbi Groner, the Rebbe's other secretary, called up Rabbi Ormland a few months later and said, the Rebbe would like you to bring the child to him. He said, but they they won't let him out of here. So the Rebbe said, ask for a weekend, to take him home for a weekend, and on Friday bring him to the Rebbe. Again, they asked for a weekend. They said, no problem. They took the child out. They came to the Rebbe on Friday. And he came into the wheelchair. The child was slumped over in a wheelchair. His whole body was metal braces. And the Rebbe said, please stand the child up over here next to me and then leave us alone for a few minutes. I said, he can't stand up. He said, please do what you said, we're told. The Rebbe took his hands, and the child stood, they stood up the child on his feet, and the Rebbe said, leave the room. Fifteen minutes, the Rebbe was in the chi- with the child in the room. After fifteen minutes, the child left, the, the, after fifteen minutes, um, the Rabbi came back into the room, the Rebbe gave him a small siddha and said the child should always look inside when he's davening. And you should use this siddha. Two months later, the child moved his foot. And a little while later, he moved the other foot. Little by little, the child started to get better and better and became more functional. The child was discharged. Child now lives in Tzvas as a throw with eight children of his own. So we see the work of the Tzadik, of the Mesha Bain of the generation, is Nitzchi, is perpetual. And it's not something that we just would say, okay, if Mesha would have come in and not have come in, it would not have made a difference to us, but rather it was definitely a decree on a Tzibur. much more to say about the parsha, but we have to change the subject to go to Shabbos Nachamu a very famous Shabbos in the mountains everyone's running to the country of Shabbos Nachamu Baruch Hashem they, they doubled up Shabbos Nachamu with visiting days so anyone that's traveling a travel advisory, stay home You definitely won't have traffic there. Unless you only have one bathroom, you have nine people. <laughs> Heshla Stripolia's famous story with Shabbos Nachmo, I believe I've told it before, and I'm going to get emails for this if I did, because someone's going to find it on the archive and come complain to me, Rabbi, you told the story already. But it's Heshla Stripolia, how can you deprive yourself of the story of Heshla? Heshlas Trapolia once came to a house 
Hashdas Tepoya once came to someone's house. He saw in the house he saw in the person's house that only the woman was home. He decided he's going to have some fun. And he he knocked on the door and he told the woman, Shalom Aleichem, I have regards from your parents. And she said, parents? My parents are dead. <laughs> he says, I know. I know where they are in Gan Eden. Says, what do you mean you know where they are in Gan Eden? He says, I have, you ever hear of Shabbos Nachmu? Everybody heard of Shabbos Nachmu. Nobody necessarily knew what it was. In those days, there were many, many Amaratsim, ignoramuses. So when he said the Shabbos Nachmu, he says, yeah, of course I heard of Shabbos Nachmu. He says, I am Shabbos Nachmu. <laughs> then I came from Gan Eden, and I saw your parents there. How are they, Nebuch? They're Nebuch not doing well. They don't have clothes, they don't have furniture, they're doing very poorly. She says, can I send something back? So he says, gladly. He says, by the way, regards from your in-laws also, your mother-in-law and father-in-law. He says, like, they're also going to eat, and you saw them too? Of course I saw them too. And their situation is not much better. Oi, she says, how much can I send with you for them? So whatever you'd like. So she said, okay. She ran outside, she took the horses, and she put them and connected them to the wagon. She loaded up the entire house, the food, the furniture, the clothing. And she sent them off with Shabbos Nachmung to Gan Eden to her parents and in-laws. Her husband comes home and finds the house became very, very, very big. <laughs> it's empty. So, he starts to scream, what happened here? And she says, Oy, you won't believe this, my dear husband. Shabbos Nachmu was here. He says, Shabbos Nachmu. It's Shvat now. Shabbos Nachmu is in Ov. Are you crazy? She says, what are you talking about? Ov, Ov, Shvat. Shabbos Nachman was here. And he came and he gave me regards from my parents, from your parents in Gan Eden. And he said how they're suffering and how terrible it is. What would you do? I gave him, he said he would take back to Gan Eden whatever I wanted, so I gave him everything. Furniture, the clothing, the food. We're here, we can get more, but at least there they should have. He saw his wife was taken for a big ride. He ran. He grabbed his other horse. He says, which way did this Shabbos Nachmu go? And she said, this way, but don't take away the stuff. My parents won't have it. Oh, please, he didn't. And he started to ride. And he started to chase. He figures he's got a horse. And this guy's got a wagon. Oh, we have a cat by this year. Okay. And... He has a single horse, and this guy has a wagon with his whole house on it. Obviously, he can go faster. So, he starts to chase, and he's heavy and hot in pursuit. And he comes across a man standing by a big, big tree. And the man's holding on to the tree. And the man is not wearing any clothing. And he says to him, What are you doing? He says, did you see a man with a wagon full of stuff? He says, yeah. He says, which way did he go? He says, that way. But you'll never catch him. So why will I never catch him? He's an expert horseman. And the way he was whipping those horses, the way he was moving, you can never catch him. What do I do? He took my whole house. He says, I could catch him. I am an expert horseman. He says, you could catch him? He says, yes. He says, but I have a little problem. He says, what's your problem? He says, you ever hear the Mishnah on three things the world stands? He says, yes. I am holding up one of those three things. And because that's my job, I don't need clothing because I'm always up against this tree. But if I'm to take your horse, I have to have clothing. So the man said, fine, I'll give you my clothing and I'll hold the tree for you. And the guy took off his clothes and gave him his clothes and he took the tree, he, he took over the tree and Herschel got on the horse and went and caught up with his wagon and now, now another horse to his collection 
and Shabbos Nachmu, and the third beam all got together and took this person's household and clothes. That is the story of Shabbos Nachum. But Shabbos Nachum was not Hesh Lasterpolya. Shabbos Nachum does not come visiting you from Ganeden. Shabbos Nachum is named after the Haftera Nachmu Nachmu Ami Yemar Hashem Lekechem. It's the first of the seven consolation Hafteras. Always Pashas Veschanon. Always the Shabbos after Tisha B'Av, and starting the from Tisha B'Av on. In the seven weeks of the Shiva the Nechemta, the seven seven consolation, we read seven different Haftaras, of course. Amongst the seven different Haftaras. Amongst the seven different Haftaras, <laughs> you got joined to the Shir, or you joined the Shir on Yossi's piggyback there? That's quite a name you have there. Uh. Okay. There are 144 Psukim. And the 144 Psukim correspond to the 143 verses Psukim that are mentioned in the Teichacha between Chukhesai and and Chukhesai and Kisavai. But one more Pasuk in order to exceed and to overcome all the Teichacha. The seven consolations that we have the first is from God Himself that He speaks and conveys to Yerushalayim. The second is from Avram Avinu to Yerushalayim. The third is Yitzchak. The fourth is Yaakov. Fifth is Moshe Rabbeinu. The sixth refers to Yerushalayim's unwillingness to accept the consolation of the righteous and a plea for other consolations. And the seventh extended by the Almighty Himself again to Tzion and Yerushalayim. Excuse me. The first is that the Tzadikim. The last is the Eibishter himself. Why Nachamu Nachamu? Why a double lotion of Nachama? of consolation, of consoling, because we know that we read in the Kinnus, a double lotion of crying, of weeping, and Tivke referring to the future crying, and therefore console, console my people, Nachmu, Nachmu, Ami. Reb Abba said, in the name of Shimon ben Levi, this is compared to a king who threw out one of his girl, one of his wives, and when he asked for her to return to him, she said, "I'll return on condition that my ksuba gets doubled. Whatever my ksuba was before, it should be doubled now." And this is the same as nachmu nachmu, consoling of double of double consolation. You know, sometimes we miss the picture, and we therefore now go to the Chamisha Sabaov, which tells us that Leho Yom Tevim Yisrael, as we said before, there were no Yom Tevim, says the Mishnah, like Chamisha Sabaov and Yom Kippur. <laughs> Speaking of missing the picture, you know, complains always they're never in the picture. The camera. Camera always complains, why am I never in the picture? And if I stay talking, she doesn't understand why. Kamishasabov is a today considered a minor yumtif. We don't say Tachman, we don't say Tachman the day before by Mincha either. 
which means tomorrow Mincha. If a person gets married on the 15th on the Chimichot Sabov, Chas and Kala do not fast. Many different things happen on Chimichot Sabov. Many different positive things happen on the 15th of The first is that people, the Jews in the Midbar, stopped dying. We know that 600,000 people were decreed to die in the desert. 600,000 people. Every year, Yamada tells us different opinions. One opinion is that every year, a ditch was dug the night before Tishabav. Every Tishabav, 15,000 Jews died in this ditch. Actually, it wasn't a really difference of opinion. What happened was the ditch was dug, everybody everybody in Kal Yisrael lied down in the ditch, and the next morning everyone got up except for 15,000 people. After 40 years, 600,000 people died. Now the truth of the matter is that the people stopped dying on Tishab of the year before because that was the last time they died. But they didn't know that until Hamishas Av. What took them till the 15th of Av? When they didn't die, when it came the next morning and everybody came out of the ditch, they said, hey, maybe we have a wrong date. Maybe our calendar is not right. And maybe it's not Tishavav. So they did it again the next night. And they repeated going into this ditch and sleeping in the ditch overnight until the full moon. The full moon is on the 15th day of the Hebrew month. At that point they realized that they were no longer going to die in this decree. That the decree would no longer affect them. And therefore, only on the 15th of Av did they realize the Gezerah was then over. The decree had ended. Another thing happens on the 15th of Av, It was the day when Binyamin, after the story of Pelegesh Begiva, the story of the concubine in Gibeah, and all of Binyamin was killed out but several hundred men, and everybody was told they're not allowed to give their daughters to marry them, and that would ultimately destroy and wipe out the entire, the entire Shevet. But on this day, the 15th of Av, they were given permission to marry the women. The girls said, the girls were told to go out in the field as they always did on the 15th of Av. And the Yemen, the people from Yemen were told to go out and take whoever you'd like to marry. Also on this day, Heshea ben removed the blockades that Yeravam had set up. They didn't let people come to be Eilir Egel in Yerushalayim. Also on the 15th of Av is the day when the cutting of the wood for the Mizbeach is finished. Because the sun loses its real heat from the 15th day of Av. And because the real heat is now dead, the wood does not dry properly. And therefore we're concerned with worms, etc., And they stopped cutting the wood. Also, Rahman al-Islam, the story of Beitar, where the entire town was wiped out. One of the punishments on Beitar was the Romans would not allow them to be buried. On Chemishas above, ultimately, they were given permission to bury the people. This is a terrible, terrible curse 
when a person cannot be buried. There was another ban in the Torah about intermarrying not only a Shavit with another Shavit, a tribe with another tribe, and that was when a woman has an inheritance, she should not marry a man from another tribe so that the inheritance of land should not go over to a different tribe. This too was nullified on the 15th of Av. And that was that barrier was broken down because since the women that people of Binyamin were marrying were not from Binyamin, obviously. So therefore, just like that decree was nullified, so too was this decree. And that decree ultimately of not marrying because the woman would take on her inheritance to a different tribe was a total different issue. It was only a decree for the generation that inherited the land, that came into Israel. Afterwards, it was not a problem. The joy which Israel invested in Chemishah in earlier generations was because they attained forgiveness for their sins. Just like in Kippur. On Yom Kippur, the Abishtha was reconciled to Israel over the golden calf and over the Second Luchas were given on the Yom Kippur. And therefore, this day was established a day of forgiveness for all generations. The 15th day of Av has the same power. Because on that day, the Jews were forgiven for the spies. Since these two days are days of purification of sin, therefore they were considered festivity. And on these days, the girls that were not married would go out of the city, outside the city, and they would dance in the vineyards. And they didn't have to worry about sneers or anything else like that. They were allowed to do this because they were pure. This process was the ultimate level of Avas Yisrael. How so? Because they all had to wear white dresses, but no girl was allowed to wear her dress. Every girl had to wear a borrowed dress. And the reason being, so nobody would be embarrassed that they had to borrow a dress. The Kayagadal's daughter had to mar- borrow from the Skan Kayagadal's daughter, and etc., etc. Even the princesses had to borrow dresses. And because they were such a high level, where the truth, where forgiveness was total, therefore, even this barrier of dancing in public, which is totally against tznius, modesty, which is what the Jewish nation prides itself, and what the Jewish nation thrives on, it was allowed on this day, because this was such a special and high holy day of forgiveness. Therefore, since this Shabbos is Nachmu, which is Nachmu, Nachmu, Ami, and this Shabbos we will get the Aseris Adibris again. On this Shabbos will be a Shabbos, Mishyech Berev Shabbos, Mishterech Berev Shabbos, Mechel the Shabbos, the one who toils and works on Erev Shabbos, eats on Shabbos, and therefore, the, what we're going to eat this Shabbos is from the toil of Tuba of, of a day of atonement and forgiveness. Therefore, we will see the true Nachmu, Nachmu Ami, the true condolences. God will console us and God will take us out of Golis and we'll find ourselves this Shabbos in Yerushalayim, in Akedesh, in Bayez Hashlishi, and we'll become again a big Yomtif as we were. When the time of the holy Beis Hamidash. Shabbat Shalom to all. Suresh Tevis.